So, if you guys know me, you guys know that I love to cook. I mean, I actually really love to cook. There's something special about fresh ingredients to enhance or even complete a meal. I love my pots, my pans. I have a special spoon that I use to make gumbo. Only that special spoon can be used. The smell of something delicious cooking in the kitchen. Come on now. Where's my chefs at? Where's my home cooks? I see you guys. There's just something special about cooking. I cooked a champagne risotto one day. I mean, it's champagne risotto. I mean, usually you use a little bit of wine, but this time it was champagne risotto. And when you're cooking a champagne risotto, you got to be specifically like intentional with the cooking process. You get your risotto. It was a champagne mushroom risotto. I think you remember, right? I remember. Oh, Marla was there. Marla was there. (laughs) But you take this champagne and you start putting it in slowly, all the ingredients, and it comes out delicious. I'm telling you, cooking is something that I really, really enjoy. And I see a lot of people in here that you get down as well. Jill, I see you. Mm-hmm. All right. So today, I want to talk to you about what God has been cooking in me. I want to speak to you this morning with this topic in mind, the freedom of humility. The freedom of of humility. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. It's going to be on here too, but we're going to be in James 4, 6 through 8. James 4, 6 through 8. As you're getting your Bibles, before we do anything else, I want to pray. I want to pray. So pray with me. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Father, I just want to feel your presence. We want to feel your presence here. Jesus, I believe right now this is holy ground. You're here with us. And I just want you to do a new thing this morning. Father, open up our hearts so we can receive you. Remove distractions out of the way. Father, it's your glory alone. It is you that our hearts long for and we desire. So have your way this morning. Have your way. Amen. James 4, 6 through 8. This is what it reads. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I have about six things that I have to give to you that God has been teaching me about pride and humility. About pride and humility. But first, before we dig a little deeper, let's take a look at the definition. You know, Tom had a helpful definition a few weeks back. And I think it's helpful to continue to that definition. Tom said, pride is an elevated view of oneself. However, I would like to go a step further and look at the other side of elevating one's self and add that pride is also a deflated view of oneself. It is essential, it's essential that we understand that there is two sides of pride, this pride pendulum, and we can find ourselves on both ends. Now, I'm here to tell you guys, I'm no stranger to the sin of pride. I'm no stranger. So, let me tell you a story. You know, one of the best jobs I ever had was Boys and Girls Club. Shout out my mother-in-law who is here, who found that job for me. <laughs> it was great. I loved it. I worked my way from cleaning out the janitor closet to hanging out with the kids as a young um, youth development professional until I got to the position of club director. That was the pinnacle. I was a club director at the Marietta Boys and Girls Club, and it was the best. I enjoyed it so much. But when you're a director, you have to do the hiring, and you have to do the firing, and you have to make sure the club is up to standards. So it came to a time that I had to hire an office manager. And I hired this office manager. She came in. She came in. And she showed me her resume. And I said, let's go ahead and interview you right here on the spot. We're sitting in my office. I was looking at her resume. Her resume was, wow. It was a really good resume. So I was looking at it. And then I told her, I think you're overqualified. I said that. That came out of my mouth. I said, you're overqualified for this position. She said, oh, overqualified? She got up, walked out. The next day came, she came back in and she said, Dorian, I know that you think that I'm overqualified. However, I think I would be a good fit here at the Marietta Clubhouse. I said, okay, let's try it out. Now, we had a project due. It was a grant project. This gave us probably about 60% of our budget for the whole year. And we needed to get this project done and get this grant in, and we had a deadline. I was going along, I was doing the process, but I was very behind on getting this grant in. I needed help. My office manager 
its job wasn't to help me with the grant. However, I felt I knew better in the clubhouse because I was the boss and I felt that she should be doing this. In fact, me and this office manager would bump heads on a consistent basis because I felt I knew better and I knew how to run the club and no one can tell me any different. So one day I was on the phone with my other club directors, there's three other more, and we're on the phone and I was talking and I was saying, yeah, I'm trying to get this grant done, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do that. And my office manager, as I was on the phone, she comes in and I said, well, if I can get a little help and I looked over to her, then maybe I would be a little bit more ahead. And she looked at me and said, oh, granted, it's not her job. So then I felt she rolled her eyes or something. And then on the phone, I said something that I should have never said. I called her out of her name. I used the name that wasn't hers. I had to shift the blame somewhere. My friends, this is also a form of pride. And I didn't know then, but I definitely know now. This led to me being suspended for two weeks and put my job in danger. It also put my family in danger, my career in danger. I tell you this story to illustrate a point for you. And the point number one, if you're taking notes, is pride is dangerous. Pride is dangerous. Let me point you to another scripture. In Proverbs 16, 18, this is what it says. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. My friends, pride is dangerous put my family in jeopardy, I put my job in jeopardy because I was prideful. Very prideful. Let's continue with another story. You guys like stories? <laughs> my wife and I, we met in college. I believe I was 18. No, she was 18. I was 20. Um, she's two years younger than I am. <laughs> We enjoyed a shared experience in college called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I remember when she first walked in to Welcome Week, where all of the clubs got together. It was like a club rush, and I remember her walking in. I locked eyes with her. I saw her for the first time. I thought she was cute. We ended up dating after that. We ended up dating for three years. And it was some of the fondest memories that I have in college. What I do know in college that I did get a wife and a foundation of who Jesus is through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Our chapter name was called More Than Conquerors. Yeah, we dated in community. We would go to Disneyland with friends, we had passes, it was the best. 
You know, I wasn't always astute or in tune to stay in school. <laughs> so we decided to pursue marriage. Our marriage was beautiful. We had 250 people coming together to celebrate our union. It was amazing. I still remember it to this day. It was beautiful, both families joining together. Our lives started. We moved away from Cal State University, Dominguez Hills, where we went to. Ended up back in my hometown, Desert Hot Springs. And then we eventually moved to Temecula, nine months later. <laughs> but being part of a local church was last in our minds after college. We thought we knew everything. We thought we learned everything in college. And being part of a local church just wasn't on the top of our mind. I thought I knew best for us. I thought I knew best for our family. I thought I knew which direction I should be going. I chose career. You know, I had an opportunity when we moved back to Temecula, my uncle gave me a call. And he said, hey, Dorian, I know you've been working in the restaurants, you know, before in the past. I'm starting a restaurant and I need help. Why don't you come and join me in starting this restaurant? And I thought, yes, I made it. I can start a restaurant. I can be inside of a restaurant and run the whole thing. This is great. I remember the day when I told Rosie, I was like, hey, yes, let's do this. And we started on a journey inside of the restaurant. It was good at first. It was good. It was learning, learning how to build things, learning restaurants and how they work. However, my uncle wasn't there much. He just wasn't there. He brought me in. And then he wasn't the one running the restaurant with me. I was alone. I worked long hours. I had to run brunch. I had to learn, run lunch. I had to run dinner. And guess what? I had to run a nightclub as well. With these long hours, my marriage became secondary to my career. We barely saw each other. We would just pass each other. I would come home late, three in the morning sometimes. After running a nightclub, she'd be asleep. She'd wake up in the morning, she'll go to work. I'll still be asleep. Then I'd do the brunch, the lunch, the dinner all over again. So my marriage was suffering. At that time in a restaurant, I was doing some hiring. And this woman caught my eye. So I hired her. Then I began to befriend her. And eventually, my friendship with this woman, I started to make one bad choice after another. And my marriage was in jeopardy. 
I tell you that story because I want you to know, I want you to understand what it says in Proverbs is real. Pride comes before destruction. And if you're taking notes still, point number two is pride leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. You know, some of you might be struggling with pride right now with certain elements of my story. Some of you right now might even be saying, I would never do that. Be very careful, my friends. Be very careful. I thought the same thing. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. All right. I know. I know. Let's move along. Who's heard of Mike Tyson? Mike Tyson, yes. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. We can all agree that Mike Tyson was a pretty good boxer, right? Yes. All right. In the late 80s, early 90s, he was known as Kid Dynamite. Explosive punches. Iron Mike was another one of his nicknames. And then later he became the baddest man on the planet. Mike Tyson would typically win his fights in the first 90 seconds. First 90 seconds, boom, done. Charles Barkley has a story when he was hanging out with Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, and they were watching a Tyson fight. And they were all sitting down and Magic and Michael said, hey, Charles, go get us some snacks at the concession stand. And Charles was like, okay, let's go. So he went and he came back and he was carrying all the snacks. And Magic and Michael looked up at him and laughed. And he was like, what? What happened? And they said, the fight's over. <laughs> it's over. 90 seconds. Mike was so feared that his interest into the ring put his opponents in fear before he even stepped into the ring. Can you imagine his entrance into the ring? He was someone you didn't want to face. There was even commercials asking, how much would it take for you to get into the ring to fight Mike Tyson? Usually the response was like, no, I'm not <laughs> fighting Mike Tyson. Yeah. There was also a song by the Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> it was actually called, um, I Think I Can Beat Mike Tyson. The song is pretty cool. You guys should check it out. Who remembers the game uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Yeah. That game was solid. To my youth in the room, before Little Mac was on Smash Brothers, he had to beat Mike Tyson. The game was impossible to beat. There's even YouTube tutorials right now saying how to beat Mike Tyson. I, for one, have never beat Mike Tyson Punch-Out. 
I haven't. It was impossible to win. You know, I tell you about Mike Tyson because it's a good way of looking at an opponent. Many of us don't want Iron Mike in his prime. Many of us don't. He was a scary opponent. You do not want to be in the ring with Mike Tyson. But do you know who's more powerful? Yeah. What if I told you God Almighty was your opponent? Let's look back to James 4, 6. In other translations, it says that God opposes the proud. You do not want to be God Almighty's opponent. You don't. I don't know about you, but I don't want that in my life. God opposes the proud. Point number three, if you're still with me taking notes, God Almighty opposes the proud. Can I brag on someone today? Yeah. Let me brag on someone today. My wife. I know her as babe. (laughs) You guys know her as Rosie. Her mother and father and sister behind her know her as Roseanne. But let me tell you, when I first met this woman, (laughs) let me brag on her kindness and her generosity. We were in college and I had the opportunity, which is rare, to go to college with both of my brothers. And we lived in a dormitory slash apartment style at Cal State Dominguez Hills. My wife, not even my girlfriend at the time, but we had shared friends. And she would come over to our apartment and we would play Monopoly and a bunch of stuff, sorry, all these board games and hang out. She noticed something. She noticed, one, my apartment was a mess. (laughs) We didn't have trash cans. Don't know where they went. Don't ask. (laughs) We used trash bags. Bag them up, sit them on the counter. Also, my wife noticed that, but she also noticed that we didn't have any snacks. We were just college boys trying to make it. She went home, and the following week, my wife comes with two trash cans filled with all the things that we needed, everything from trash bags to goodies to candy, chips. The kindness and the generosity that oozes off of this woman is beautiful. I'm simply attracted to it. I'm attracted to her smile. I'm attracted to her eyes. I'm attracted to the way she walks in the room. That's why I married her. Those of you who are married or even dating someone, 
You can recall. You can recall the moment you became attracted to that person. Or you might have friends that possess characteristics that you are attracted to. And then, boom, your besties. Where my youth in a room. I know it. What if I told you that the God we serve is so attracted to the humble? He sees you and he's like, wow, I want to be near to my son and to my daughter. He's attracted to the humble. He wants to be near to those who humble themselves. Let's go further. Let's visit that definition of pride again. Oh, let me stop. Point number four. You're still taking notes. I skipped that. God is attracted to the humble. God is attracted to the humble. All right, let's go further. Let's visit that definition of pride again and look at the latter part of that definition. A deflated view of one's self is also a condition of pride. Not too long ago, I needed a reminder of who I am in Christ and what Jesus says about me. I needed a reminder. I was believing in lies about me. I was believing in lies about my community. And ultimately, lies about Jesus. You know, this led to an unwanted behavior. An emotional upheaval that I was unable to control. But through the generosity of the church, I was able to travel to Ohio. And there I went through an intensive therapy that lasted a week. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I would have missed this opportunity if I was prideful. Prideful in a way of deflating myself, believing that I was too far gone, believing that I was too bad or was never going to change. I would have missed it. I would have missed it if I had this deflated view. I would have missed it if I said, I can't go to Ohio. I'm too bad. I'll never change. I can't take this on. It's a deflated view. But let me tell you, through God's generosity, his kindness, his mercy, I tasted how good Jesus is in Ohio. I went to Ohio with my wounds in tow. In my sessions, my caregiver, which was my therapist, asked me to bring four wounds to my session that I wanted healing in and to ask Jesus to highlight too. My caregiver was splendid in helping me generate mental pictures in my mind, like beautiful visions of Jesus. Jesus reminded me of a time, 
of a time that I was sick as a little boy. And my mother, she would stay up with me long hours throughout the night. It'd be three, four in the morning. I would be dizzy. And as a young boy, I was sick. I had asthma. When I was a baby, my lungs collapsed. So my sickness was intensified. But the only thing that calmed me down and put me in peace was laying on my mother's lap. As she stroked my head and she sang a beautiful song that she still sings to me today on my birthday each year. Then Jesus, in my mind, as I was getting help generating these mental pictures, I was in a space, beautiful garden, sitting with Jesus on two wicker chairs. Then Jesus turned to me and what felt like a thunderous war, but a gentle voice said, behold, I love you, Dorian. And the way that your mother holds you is the way that I hold you. God made it clear to me. He made it clear that when I wasn't lovely, he still loves me. He still loves me. James 4, 6. Let's go back to that scripture. This is what it says. He gives greater grace. Greater grace. Point number five. God gives grace to the humble gives grace to the humble. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have that experience in Ohio that led me to humility. I don't know about you, but I want more of God's grace. I want more of God's grace in my life. I'm not going to leave you with my marriage story like this. So, I'm gonna tell you the latter part. My wife, she found out that I was making one poor choice after another. She asked if I wanted the disillusion in my marriage. But my pride was making me justify the bad choices in my life. <clears throat> Instead of fully repenting, I was justifying things. But let me tell you, my wife hears from the Lord. If you know her, if you spent any kind of time with her, do you know what I'm talking about? She explained to me, after all of this, she said, that Jesus told her that I can't work on your marriage if you're apart. My wife found a church 
down the street from our apartment. And guess what? They were doing a marriage study. And she felt at that time that Jesus said, do you remember me? She went to this marriage study. After a long day of work, she would go home and she would grab our puppy and she would go to this marriage study. Yes, they let the puppy in to the marriage study. <laughs> the pastor loaned her the DVDs of the marriage study to bring back to me. But let me tell you, my friends, I never wanted to watch the DVDs because I felt like no one can teach me about my marriage. I didn't need to listen to anybody about my marriage. Who do they think they are? I felt no one can teach me. Let me tell you, one day, I sat down with my wife. And I don't remember anything in that DVD. I don't. I don't remember anything. But what I do remember is the Holy Spirit hit me hard. I came face to face with my sin, which humbled me before God and my wife. I fell to my knees. I was beating my chest. Screaming to the top of my lungs saying, I feel so far away from you, Jesus. My wife reflects on that moment. And she told me that was the moment that God spoke to her and said, that's Dorian. That's my son who I made. Instantly, God healed our marriage, which was not possible. It was only possible because of my humility and posture of full repentance that allowed grace to flow. It allowed grace to flow. I want to read to you out of the Bible, Psalm 51. Prayer for restoration. This is what King David, this is one of my favorite passages. It hits home for me. Let me read it to you. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned. and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. 
Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom, deep wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Psalm one. Psalm 51, that's what I felt at that moment. Like King David, when he wrote this, and I was drawn to Psalm 51, that's what I felt. My friends, one of my favorite verses again, I love, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. John 1.16. It's not up there. But it says this. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Point number six. The well of grace doesn't run dry. Grace upon grace. But here's the thing, my friends. We certainly can damn it up like a fish rolling and then boom, hits a dam. You ever felt that? Here's how, here's how. If you're anything like me, sometimes your flesh starts to use ingredients to cook a poisonous meal. And some of those ingredients might include a pride statement like this. How about this one? I got this. I don't need anyone else. I got this. Or how about, I know better. <laughs> I know better. Or how about this? I'm above this. No one can teach me. Or how about this? I'm the problem. Or I'm not the problem, excuse me. I'm not the problem. These ingredients of pride, my friends, they will make you sick. They will make you sick. Oh, but I serve a God. There's also another meal that can be cooked with ingredients of humility that lead to freedom that comes from Jesus. How about this one? I don't got this. I need help. How about I need you, Jesus? How about I need grace? Those are the ingredients that I want. Can I call the worship band up? 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mark. <laughs> um, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to that. It's going to be up here as well. All right. This is what it reads. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we, we may receive mercy and find help and find grace to help us at the proper time. The question I want to ask you, who in here needs greater grace? Who in here needs greater grace? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can now receive that grace and boldly go before God. The veil was torn in two. It's because of him. It's because of Jesus. If you're anything like me, if you're anything like me, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves and receive the grace of King Jesus. Receive the grace of King Jesus. We look at his throne sometimes and we say we can't approach it because if you're like me, you, you think the throne is something that you can't get to and by all means, we shouldn't be able to. But Jesus, but Jesus, friends, what he did for us, now we can boldly, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Can I just ask you, take this opportunity. He loves you. He wants you. Humble yourself and come before Jesus. Thank you.